Hey, everybody. Welcome back to A Higher Future. I'm Evie Simonetti from Interview IA. And uh, today we're, we're getting into a, a really great conversation. Again, the last 18 months have, have given us this, I feel like a once in a lifetime opportunity to really broach some of these subjects and do a deep dive into a lot of these things that are impacting uh, our population, that are impacting businesses, especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion and how we're going to move forward uh, in terms of growing our companies and, and helping people find work and, and, and how people are getting treated. And so, first of all, I want to introduce Corey Smith, who's the head of diversity and inclusion at LVMH. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So how do you typically introduce yourself to people? Yeah, no, you, you got it right. Uh, Corey Smith, <laughs> uh, head of diversity and inclusion, LVMH. The, the only caveat I probably would add there is, is North America. Um, okay. I, I lead our diversity and inclusion efforts for North America. Um, we have a chief diversity officer who is based at our global headquarters in Paris. So yeah, so that's a great distinction because LVMH is is quite a large global multinational organization. Can you tell people just a little bit about LVMH and what's what's under that umbrella? Sure, sure, absolutely. Great question. Um, so yeah, LVMH is the largest luxury goods uh, corporation on the planet. We own 75 different brands or maisons, which is French for houses, okay. uh, across five business, business verticals, uh, fashion, obviously, um, wines and spirits, uh, watches and jewelry, beauty and skincare, and the last is what we call selective retailing, which is predominantly travel and hospitality. And so that runs the gamut from everything uh, from, again, Louis Vuitton, Fendi, Christian Dior, uh, Celine, Givenchy, to our wines and spirits division. That's Moet, that's Dom Perignon, that's mm -hmm. Marc Picot, it's Hennessy. Uh, the list goes on and on across bourbons, tequilas, vodkas, Belvedere. Um, then on the watches and jewelry side, it's Tag Hauer, it's Bulgari, it's Zenith watches. Again, another deep list. We <laughs> yeah. care. We own Sephora. We own all of the Sephoras. Mm -hmm. um, we own Fenty by Rihanna. Uh, again, Deep Bench Fresh Benefit perfumes, Christian Dior, the list goes on and on. Um, and then again, on the travel and hospitality side, we have Starboard, which is a selective retailing group uh, that works with cruise ships okay. and uh, Belmont, which is a hotel chain. Uh, so again, 75 massive organizations all under the LVMH umbrella. And this, this is a random question, but is part of onboarding to learn how to say all of those? Because, you know, there's, a lot of them are, are French. Or, Pronunciation you know. is key. Yes, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's actually a running joke that depending on if you knew certain ones, if you know how to say them, then you can tell if you've been been part of this world or not. So, yes, right, right, right. some of them are a trick question. If you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Well, and it, it, it's, it leads really nicely into a big part of what, what I wanted to talk about today, which is this idea that, you know, luxury um, and, and how, you know, as it applies to diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, what, what, what are the conversations that you all have 
when, especially, you know, after George Floyd's murder, having all these discussions about uh, systemic inequalities and oppression and access to things, what was that conversation like? Because as, as luxury brands, you know, I think there's a lot of communities of people who feel like they don't have access to those things. Yeah. Yeah, no, great question. Um, I'll deal with the luxury piece first. Uh, sure. I think, look, I think as, as an industry, so not just LVMH, but all the other wonderful brands that exist kind of in this luxury space, um, for a really long time, they went with the word exclusive, right? It's exclusive products, not to your point, not everybody has access. I think as we look at this through the lens of you know, diversity and inclusion, I've really tried to shift that narrative from using the word exclusive to the word aspirational, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody aspires. And yeah. so um, even as an individual, you aspire to be more, have more, you evolve over time. Um, and so this idea of this is an aspirational industry, meaning, okay, even if I can't have it now, maybe at some point in my life, I will be able to, I think is a more inclusive thought process around how we even approach this industry. The reality is, um, you know, as an industry, especially, especially at LVMH, we have done quite a bit to be more inclusive over time. There's still tons of work to do, but this is something that has been proactive for us for you know the last 15, 20 years. And again, on a global level, not just here in North America. So you you, you know you mentioned the, the craziness that was 2020. Yeah. Um, of course, on the heels of George Floyd and, and, and you know kind of the resurgence of Black Lives Matters and and all the civil and social and racial unrest of, of 2020 we felt obligated to kind of lean into those moments. If, if for nothing else, to make sure our employees were taken care of, right? You, yeah. We have a ton of diverse employees that were impacted in real time by some of the things that were going on. And again, as this global massive organization, it's almost a responsibility of ours to make sure that our employees felt valued, supported, protected, um, and cared for. And by default, that then extends to their personal life. We were also in the middle of a pandemic, right? So people were home and, and you know, you, you more than ever in 2020, you were involved in people's personal space, if you will, if for nothing else than Zoom alone, right? And so you, you, you combine all of that and you really got to understand what people were going through personally in real time. And so, you know, it, it was a, a, a need for empathy more than ever. And that requires then I now have to be a little bit more in tune to people that may be different than I. And so, um, you know, our efforts around that, you know, we did all the donations that every corporation did, right? We sent sure. a ton of money out into the world to, to help fight the good fight. But it was more about how can we actually leverage the power of of in size of, of who we are to really start to affect change. And, you know, I, I, it, it's really simple. The business has to ask itself, what's important to us? What do we value, right? That's, those are business questions, but then based on how you answer them, then you just act accordingly. And so if you value your people, um, if civil equity is important to you, then you act accordingly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I love that uh, because, you know, the, the other side of that is true too. I mean, you, you could say, well, yeah, as an organization, we value money and profits. <laughs> but as long, you know, my, my whole thing, especially when you're hiring, right, is authenticity. Like, you know, own what, own it, own your identity. Don't try to paint a picture that's not true because they will find out what's true eventually, right? And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think going back to the aspirational versus exclusive, I love that, but it also needs to be, I think, supported by then everything that you're doing, right? The actual things that pave the way for that, like for anybody to have an equal opportunity at that aspiration. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, we we pride ourselves on being excellent in everything we do, right? Part right. of the reason the products are so luxurious is quality craftsmanship, you know, the 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 what we call the savoir faire, which is how you pass this down from, from generation to generation in terms of how you make the, the products, the quality of, of of goods that we use, where we source our ingredients, right? Whether that's mm -hmm. the leathers or the flowers that go into our fragrances. Um, if we're that excellent at all of that stuff, then guess what? We need to be as excellent when it comes to being more inclusive, understanding different cultures. How are we going to um, be more inclusive and be more equitable? And oh, by the way, if we do all of that right too, that will lead to better and more business the same way our craftsmanship and our quality does as well. Yeah, right? exactly. So it's all connected. There's no, our rich heritage, which we pride ourselves so much on, right? Sure. We always talk about, you know, our brands are 100, 200, 300 years old, and they all have this, you know, rich brand DNA. Well, all of that is as connected to creating a more inclusive environment because our customer is also evolving and growing and changing in real mm -hmm. time as well. So um, they're not mutually exclusive, right? Rich yeah. heritage is not mutually exclusive from being to your point, authentic and relevant in the moment to continue the business moving forward. Right. Well, how, um, how did COVID, COVID impact two things? One, so your hiring growth, but, but also your your business I mean, I mean you know i think when, when we were all forced to stay home yeah what are the you know i mean moet chandon or mo is it just moet or is it moet chandon there which one's under your so the the entire wines and spirits vertical of our yeah. business is called moet hennessy moet hennessy but under yeah. moet hennessy we've got 20 different 20 or so different brands wines yeah. champagnes yeah bourbons, tequilas, cognacs. So it's a full portfolio, but the, the vertical is called Moet Hennessy. Moet Hennessy. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, because uh, I think that that part of the business probably went up a little bit last year. <laughs> That's sort of joking, but not. But <laughs> No, no, don't joke. It, it, it was very lucrative for yeah. us. <laughs> so, so, so how did, yeah, so how, how did COVID, 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 I don't know why I'm saying COVID, COVID impact those two things, your, your growth as a company and then your, your, your brand, your business? Yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 the beauty of being so big, right? And right. having all these different um, types of businesses under under the same umbrella. Because to your point, you know, while one is suffering, one is also thriving. You're, we had double digit growth wow. in wines and spirits Incredible. in the middle of a pandemic. 
Um, Because, yeah, everybody was at home trying to, (laughs) you know, get through however they however they could. And if if libations were a part of that, then so be it. Um, But at the same time, again, I said, you know, we we had a business that's really that relies heavily on um, the cruise ship business that was completely shut down, you know, for for 18 months more. And so, you know, you have thousands of employees that are part of that business vertical that aren't working. And so, you know, while one is really, really um, going through some hard times and kind of rightfully so, we have others that were thriving. Right. Um, and, and then there was, you know, there's all types in between, you know, beauty, skincare, cosmetics, there was a funny balance going on there because you're right, people at home. So, you know, they're not getting glammed up anymore. And now you've got a mask on. So who needs lipstick? Right. <laughs> right, but, right. Yeah. Um, but skincare then became a priority, right? Like yeah. at home, creams, moisturizers, face masks, you know, all of those types of things became a, a priority for some. And and fashion as well. I think, you know, there we what we saw was this unique moment and opportunity where Financially, there was some sort of equalizer going on in the world. Um, and, you know, we saw some, some of our brands, you know, Dior, Fendi, Louis Vuitton, those three in particular, we saw some upticks in some of their business. And then, yeah, we saw some decline in others, but um, it speaks to the power of, you know, kind of our branding and our branding. Hey, people know these names, they know these brands. And so even in times where you think, we wouldn't be as strong. We're, we're still we're still doing really really well. Um, and then globally, as kind of the world started to open back up in different phases in different places, right? Asia opened back up before we did here in the states. People went right back to shopping, and yeah. so um, we saw by region the numbers kind of shift and change over over the course of you know a year, 18 months, so to speak. So overall, the business did really well um, with some pockets here and there of some struggle. Like we're just now getting the cruise ship business back online. Right, right. Well, and, and I imagine too, I think this speaks really strongly to, again, kind of going back to that authenticity, right? And that a company's true understanding of who they are and then putting that out there in a really authentic way because um, to your point, people were still loyal. Did you see that then on the hiring side? Like, did you still see people, you know, still kind of gravitating towards the brands to work for them because of that brand recognition and love? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's the story of how, in my brain, how marketing and HR are connected, like internally mm-hmm. inside of an organization. You don't think those two functions are connected, yeah. right? But I always remind people that what you put out into the world in terms of marketing campaigns, ad campaigns, your branding, your image, your look and feel can dictate who then applies for your jobs, right? If, if sure. no one, you don't see yourself reflected on my social media page, you might not think that's a company I want to go work for. Because right. no, no one on their social, on their Instagram looks like me, right? And so a couple of things happened. One, because everything, the world shut down, all of our businesses had to rely on digital, right? Because that was the only way to buy because you couldn't go to a store. 
And so all of our digital platforms, whether it's our, you know, our direct websites themselves or how we marketed, which then went to, you know, TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and, you know, all, all of that had to be ramped up because we were so used to people only coming in stores to buy product that we really had to ramp up our digital platforms. As a result, it allowed for, it was the perfect opportunity to say, okay, how can we be more inclusive from a digital perspective, yeah. right? And so once you now start to be intentional about your inclusion, because we had to literally say, how can we do this intentionally? Yeah. yeah. Then it does have an impact. Now people are going to the website, not just to buy, but they're going to the career section, right? right. And yeah. what jobs are open there? Hmm, I didn't think about this as an option before, but now there might be something there for me. I'm already a loyal customer, yeah. right? Why not, yeah. not, why not apply for a job? And so leveraging, literally leveraging diversity and inclusion to marry the two, marketing yeah. and HR, um, uniquely online. Um, was something that was an actual positive influence for us. And so, and again, something that we approached with a, a level of intentionality. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it always reminds me of um, Virgin. Virgin did that. You know, they realized that they had somewhere that they, it, it equaled up to like $7 million every year of, of potential customers they were losing in their candidate pool alone yeah. because they weren't, they weren't, they, they weren't creating that, you know, that, that relationship with yep. those candidates. So it was, to your point, it was very separate from marketing, what we're selling, that kind of thing. And so once they leaned in on that and made that connection instantly, you know, six to $7 million in profits, because they, yep. they, even though they didn't hire them, they were still customers. Absolutely. I mean, it speaks to, you know, a lot of people, they hear the words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they only think of HR. Right? Yeah, they only right. think of, to your point, you know, this recruiting aspect of, of, of the role. But I, I really try to stress to people, you know, a large part of this role is also how we portray ourselves as a totally. business out into the world, right? And so yeah. we, we did a, an assessment, for example, on some of our brands and, you know, one of, from a multicultural perspective multicultural marketing perspective. And one of the findings, I won't say which brand, but one of the findings said, if they were to pay, spend 5%, not even a ton of money, 5% of their marketing dollars, specifically targeting um, the Black, Latinx, and Asian community, it would yield an additional $100 million. <laughs> wow. And it's because, to your point, they're already engaged, right? right. And they're already, they might be, you know, new customers, or even if they've been longstanding customers, we are not speaking to them directly. Imagine if we did, yeah. right? And so if there was, again, this intention to be authentic and relevant and celebrate culture, not appropriate culture, celebrate right. culture, right? There's right? a fine line between appropriation Absolutely. and appreciation, <laughs> but yeah, you do it right. And that requires then having the in inside your organization, the right people to authentically tell a story to a yeah. specific demographic. So again, we're back to the hiring, yep. right? If you hire the right people to then accurately and authentically tell the right story, of course, there's going to be an uptick from, from, from a marketing market share perspective, at least. And so um, all of that is stuff that we are, you know, proactively working on. I, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years, we've done a really good job of doing that from a gender perspective around women, 
Right. Um, internally, we launched a program 15 years ago. We wanted to increase the number of women in senior level positions in the organization. You know, our organization is over 70% women, but right. 15 years ago, they were only 20% of senior management. And so we launched an initiative to be intentional to do that. And we've improved the numbers over that 15 years, almost more than 20 points. So there's been a 20% uptick in the number of women in senior level positions. My brain said, well, if we did that for gender, we can do it for any other dimension. Absolutely. So let's go do it for ethnicity. Let's go do it for LGBTQ. Like we can replicate a very successful model that we implemented around gender diversity across any other dimension of diversity. And so those are the things, some of the things that we're working on. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. I did, man, there's so much in here. Audience, <laughs> take notes because I, there, you know, it's just, it's, you know, we, we talked about the digital presence, authenticity. Um, but uh, realizing that network impact and, and opportunity, because it's, you know, once you, once you get a few, th they'll go and tell their friends and their family. Absolutely. And I love that. And, um, oh, man, great conversation. Uh, two things to end. So one, I would love to hear the transition for you from Major League Basketball or baseball to, to, um, to LVMH, like what was what was that like? <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, it was it was interesting. Again, I spent ten years in sports, um, right? And so it was it was an interesting thought process. But I think once everybody got on the same page, it kind of then things went really quickly. And and the, and, and the ideation was this: the business models are actually not that different, right? Mm -hmm. In sports. I worked in the commissioner's office, had kind of oversight and responsibility from a diversity and inclusion perspective for the entire league. So 30 different major league teams, Yeah. Um, the network, MLB TV, MLB.com. Um, I worked a lot with our minor league presence. So there's 160 minor league teams. So very independently owned and operated siloed businesses each team is its own business it's got its own owner its own president its own cfo full infrastructure you move that model over to lvmh same thing parent company 75 different brands all independent and autonomous very decentralized and so once we all understood okay the business model and the framework is actually very much the same yeah the rest of it was was like that was the light bulb that once it went off for everybody, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, oh, okay, this guy doesn't know anything about fashion, but he might actually fit in it from here. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I, that wasn't hopefully that wasn't a comment on the way you were dressing. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually knew what I was walking into that day. So I was, I was prepared. I was prepared. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I love that. Um, but yeah, it, it's you know, yeah. infrastructure-wise, they're actually not very different industries. And so, yeah. you know, it was actually a pretty easy migration over. Awesome. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for for this conversation. I the, the one last question I have is what what is your future of work perspective? Like how are you looking at the, the future of work now uh, after these last 18 months? Yeah, it's it's you know. Again, I think we're still dealing with um, the effects of what I call both pandemics, right? The, yeah. the, the civil, racial, social unrest, and then COVID. Um, 
So we're in real time having conversations about, you know, what is the return to office plan? Um, you know, health and safety concerns for our employees, whether they're in the office or at home. Um, but it's also led to conversations around you know, childcare and elder care. You know, a lot of them, a lot of our employees, their parents either were sick or unfortunately passed away or, or the like. And so, you know, it's no longer a conversation and this speaks to, you know, inclusion and valuing and caring for your employees. It's no longer a conversation of just the employee. You now have to look at, you know, everybody kind of in their circle, right? And in mm -hmm. that insular family needs. And, and so we even took a look at our um, comp and benefits packages to make sure that they were equitable. And we found mm -hmm. quite honestly, some disparities between, you know, the packages we were offering weren't as inclusive as we thought they were around LGBTQ, for example, and same sex couples. And this is globally in, in mm -hmm. the, the way we view it in Asia, it didn't cover everyone that it needed to cover as it does here in the US. And so, yeah. but all of that was a direct result of COVID. Had COVID not happened, we wouldn't have even looked at it. Exactly, <laughs> right? yeah, so, right. Um, this need to kind of, again, I go back to really being intentional, really being authentic and really caring for your employees transcends just the employee. And that's where you start to make a more of a social impact uh, when you're not just taking care of your employee, but you're taking care of the people around them, whether they're employees of LVMH or not, right? And right. so that's a level of inclusion that I can honestly say is a direct result of, of the last 18 months and, and even how we bring people back into the office. It's it's all done now with this lens of kind of diversity and inclusion through it. And are we creating an equitable internal infrastructure for our employees to return to the office? So mm -hmm. tons of things ahead. We've got some great initiatives coming up and uh, we're excited to roll them out 2022 and beyond. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's, it's really, I think there's some cool things. I think, again, there was once in a lifetime opportunities that the right organizations if they did kind of that introspection that you all have done are kind of more awake now. I mean, I love that, you know, the, so you all have a hundred thousand plus employees globally, but really you're worried about North of half a million people. If you consider kids, spouses, yeah. grandparents, you know, yeah. that you're, that that's fascinating. <laughs> like I think about our small little company of 10, but when you multiply that out, I mean, we're almost like 50, you know, 50 plus, which is insane to think about, but that's truly kind of what it is. Yeah. So I love that. I think that's, for me, the biggest nugget here is um, think about the impact that is an organization that you're having, and it's way bigger than you think. Absolutely. Um, that's Absolutely. fascinating. Well, Corey, thank you, man. This was so great. Thank you so thank much you. for this conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you all for continuing to tune in. Um, you can always reach us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, um, but also check out the website, interviewia.com, and we'll be there as well. So thank you all for listening. Take care.